everyone welcome this is behind the wheels season two i am dj artistic i am a dj based in los angeles california uh, i would like to introduce you all to my co-host eb eb what's going on with you What's up? I am E.B., the musicologist. I'm a writer, blogger, content creator, uh, right out of Brooklyn. Brooklyn in the building. Okay. And this is Behind the Wheels. On here, we like to discuss everything black music, past, present, and the future. So let's go ahead and get into it. So before we start and get into that um, rewind segment, uh, what's been going on in the world of music, E.B.? I know it's been, it's always some releases. I know that Wale came out. It's it's some releases. I haven't listened to anything. Like, nothing's, like, grabbed my attention. Um, I'm waiting. I'm still waiting for something to, like, grab me. Like, summer yeah. is gone now. So, like, what's, what's going to be hot to take us through until spring? I'm waiting. Yeah, I feel like, you know me, I'm still Team Silk Sonic, even though that skate didn't really hit I, like it was it, supposed to. Skate but. didn't hit. I mean, okay, like when we discussed it, leave the door open, yeah. hit, and it hit hard. Yeah. And then they yeah. waited too long, and then skate, when it came, I was like, oh, that's like, okay, that's it. well, it's cool, but it don't have the same yeah. impact. So I'm, I don't know. I don't know. I'm a little nervous about it because I'm like, well, will the album sound like skate? Or will it be more of leave the door open? And also, is it it 50-50 all the way? Like, am I going to get to hear Anderson shine? Like, I want to hear him shine. That's it. We need that. Yeah, Yeah. we need that for sure. So we'll see what happens with that. I haven't played the Wale. I'm a type. I've never been a Wale fan or hater. It's just the Wale has always been there and I listen to his stuff. But this album, I'm like, all right, this. uh, I'll say he has some dope sample uses. He he has the uh, Caramel Kisses from Faith. He has the Dearly Beloved sample from jamie fox tv show he has the of course poke it out has the vibrant thing that's one of my favorite new club songs so i'm kind of rocking with I mean, it a little bit yeah. this is the thing i'm like you i i don't think i've ever actively listened to wale and i've never i don't have a beef with wale uh, obviously he's dmv yeah. i was in dc for a decade and hmm. just during that time i think i kind of adapted the mentality of a native in the area Cause I didn't mm-hmm. hear a lot of them listening to Wale. A lot of them wasn't like mm-hmm. a lot of the people that I was hanging with. We wasn't right. listening to Wale. We wasn't hating on Wale, but it was like, all right. Yeah. So my like, I'm always like, all right. Well, what's he doing next? Um, I think he has an interesting flow. Yeah, yeah. And I think maybe that's part of his appeal. Um, and like you just mentioned, his sample uses. He does he he does pretty well with sample usage. Like he's never I've never heard him sample anything badly, or I've never heard a sample of a Wale. Wale sampling someone and I hate it. So That's I'll true. give it. That's I'm true. gonna check it out yeah. because I trust your ear and you. You yeah. saying it's all right, so I trust you. I, I'm gonna check it out. Y'all say check it out. Yeah, just give it a, give it a peep. I'm not saying it's classic at all, but it's definitely a solid album. So, I mean, yeah, you know, for for Lauren too. And um, as far as Mia, this past weekend, so everyone who heard the last episode, we had um, we had Philippe and Mo on from Radio, and that's Issa mm-hmm. Rae's label and. I was actually uh, fortunate enough to, to DJ that Insecure Fest this past weekend in LA. And I would say that was just a legendary event. It was Love everything it. about it, just the culmination of how it all went down. Like the fact that it's the way she's ending off the series Insecure. And Insecure has been, I would say, probably the, the best show when it comes to music, breaking music, and even throwing those classics in. Even throwing in the, the last yeah. 10 years, maybe even longer. And. This is the last season, and she actually had it right there where she grew up on Slauson and Overhill. Like her billboard, like for season five, is right there next to where we were at. She had HBO setting up the whole thing right there in the middle of the blackest part of LA, and it was just like 
a beautiful thing having us, you know, right there. So I love it. I mean, yeah. like you said, like when it comes to um, music and we touched on it last show, um, Insecure is clearly like the best of the best. And I love the way yeah. she's tying in the music with the rollout for the last season and, and yeah. making it a big fest. And of course, she got like the number one international DJ in the world. She had to have you come through and do your thing. But I'm looking at pictures and I'm seeing like all the celebrities out there. And I'm like, yeah. moments like that, I kind of wish I lived out in LA. Yeah, I, yeah, I feel I like it. I'm missing out it. a little bit, but I'm glad y'all was out there rocking though. Yeah, man. That's one thing about LA. Uh, whenever we have those special events, they're different level. Cause if, yeah. the funny the funny thing is before I started, I was, I mean, before it really got started at that level, I was just kind of warming up, playing some, you know, deeper cuts, just vibing. And one girl came up and she she was working the event and she was like, yo, yo you're a dope DJ. You know, usually I don't hear good music out here because, you know, uh, usually stuff in LA is whack. And I'm like, hold up, where are you from? I'm gonna ask you, Eb. Where do you think she was from? Just take a wild guess. I mean, I mean, she take had to a wild be, guess. She had to be from New York. You know it exactly. But this so is the was, thing: yeah, the DJs yeah. are so different. Like, and yeah. this is this is not a slight to any DJ who may be listening, who is a West Coast DJ. And this is not just because I'm the co-host on the show, but yeah. you were the first West Coast DJ, like a DJ that I was at an event. And I heard you, and I'm like. Okay, like, yo, he know his stuff. And it's not just knowing the music. It's also knowing, like, timing and when to play something and reading the crowd. Like, you do yeah. that well. And New York, I think we so used to, like, party DJs. You know, you either party DJ or you yelling over a track every five minutes. <laughs> and we don't yeah, take the time yeah. to really, like, vibe out like that. And when you do, it makes people take notice. So I knew I, she was right, though. I mean... I've not heard great DJs. I'm not saying there aren't any, but you know, it's it's something special about when you spin. That's all I'm gonna say. No, I appreciate you for that. I mean, it's yeah. one of those things we always talk about, but I think it's also what I told her is that LA, when it comes to certain events, it's like the events that bring people from out of state uh, to most events are not the ones that have the best DJs because it's more so about a lot of parties and clubs here are more so background music. It's like the the actual the people there are the ones who. Like whenever people leave, it's not about how is the music. It was right. Drake showed up, Future showed up. So it's right. That's a lot that happens with it too. But overall, I mean, I, I heard what she was saying, but I let her know. You know, we got some dope DJs <laughs> out here too. Like I'm definitely not the only one at all, at all. But yeah, overall, I would say that event was definitely legendary. She had Jasmine Sullivan. She had uh, Schoolboy Q. She had Kamaya representing that West. She had Dugworth. You know, um, who, who else was there? Um, somebody else was there too. But yeah, it was just a a dope time. So, um, and it was it was this it was vac safe, you know. It made sure everybody was vaccinated Vaxed and up. tested. So, you know, that's what it was. So, I, I appreciate that whole look. So, let's go ahead and get into it. You know, we start this uh, show off with the rewind segment. To everybody who's listening, the rewind segment we basically uh, always like to highlight and give flowers to those artists from the past who may or may not still be doing their thing, but we feel that a lot of them are unsung and don't get that proper recognition that they deserve so for your pick this episode who would you like to go with eb i gotta go so i'm gonna say this first anytime yeah. anybody asks me about the decade the 90s and uh -huh. the top songs from the decade r&b songs hip-hop songs my yeah. number one favorite song is is it good to you you can find it on the juice soundtrack with tammy lucas okay. so i gotta shout tammy lucas out because she's done so many yeah. other things that people really don't realize how important she is to the fabric of, you know, modern day music. Like 
she Harlem, born and raised, she is the person mm. that Pharrell credits with teaching him to be a songwriter. She actually convinced oh, really? Teddy Riley to sign the Neptunes. Like that's her, that was her, her impact. She and let her wow. tell she's like, I begged Teddy multiple times to sign the Neptunes. So she's like a singer <laughs> out of New York. Started as a teenager going to um Paradise Garage with Larry Levon, uh DJ Larry Levon out there. Um, her father was actually a famous drummer, uh, Ray Lucas. He was a part of the Apollo House Band. And oh, okay. he came up with uh, Jimi Hendrix. He's played for Dionne Warwick, Donny Hathaway, Aretha Franklin, Otis Redding. Like, there's no one he hasn't played for. So she's always had that music in her. Um, so 86, she discovered she was discovered by Larry Levon while she was just partying at Paradise Garage. She released this song called Hey Boy that became like a dance hit. It became like a house dance hit club hit over here in New York is hmm. people going wild. And then she kind of from there got hooked up with somebody who knew somebody at Uptown Records. So she signs with Capital um, through Uptown, like in a distribution deal and everything. That's where she met Teddy Riley. Her and Teddy are working together. Okay. This is So this is before New Jack Swing was a thing. This is before Guy was even formed. She was there when what? when, when wow. Timmy Gatlin and Aaron Hall <laughs> walked in, like when they came in the room. Like So she was there. But um, she, you can hear her on Keith Sweat's album, uh, yeah. Riding the yeah. Wrong Way. She's on, that, she's on that song. She's the only woman on Guy's album. So she is the one doing... Um, Goodbye, Goodbye love, love. Yeah. Which was yeah. supposed to be a duet with her and Aaron, but it was oh, some wow. behind the scenes stuff that happened and they just they cut her yeah. vocals down and cut her part down. Um she wow. also introduced Q tip to the Neptune. So that's how we got a lot of the collaborations that they started doing. Like she was the person that wrote Joy for Michael Jackson, which he didn't use, but then oh, Black she Street, wrote it. Yeah, she co wrote it with Mike. Oh wow! Black Street wow. then came out, and she's also on Black yeah. Streets tonight's the night. She is the mm -hmm. voice on Noriega's Super Thug. That is Tammy Lucas. Like <laughs> wow. she's on Tribes <laughs> once again. You know she's written total uh, when Boy Meets Girl. Mm. She's written songs for the Winans. She's when she wrote for Michael, she actually got the tracks for Remember the Time and Joy. They love what she did with Joy. Did so much like Remember the Time. But, you know, it became, you know, a song that even though Michael didn't use it, Blackstreet came and did their spin on it. So Tammy is like really important to the fabric. She was the girl in oh. the late 80s, early 90s, through the 90s that you called whenever you needed somebody to sing your hook or chorus. Sadly, she's yeah. never recorded her own album. Um, I didn't think She's so. worked with all these people. She's never been signed to any of them outside of Capitol. Um, she's never worked extensively with Teddy Riley or Pharrell outside of the work that they did. You know, she mm -hmm. lived with them. They all lived together. She moved down to Virginia Beach and lived with them, you know, but they didn't produce an album for her, but she de yeah, she don't have that shine. Like she's worked with everybody. She's like yeah. putting all these groups together and all these people together, but people don't really know who she is outside of that one song. Is it good to you? Which of course Heavy D and the boys did it first. Yeah. They did their version. Then somebody at Uptown was like, We need a version for a movie. They asked Teddy, like, can you make a song similar to this? He was like, I'll do you one better. Tammy, you'd already did the chorus, just write some verses and you sing it. And that that's what put her on. But she didn't reach that mm. like superstar level. And I, I yeah. mean I, I don't know why, but I know why. But she definitely deserved to be shouted out in the rewind. Definitely. Like you said, like 
it's hard for me to even pick between those two songs because I mean I love heavy. How would you feel if I break? You know, I love yeah. the way he gets off, but then it's something about the production and just about her her silky vocals on that that Zeus soundtrack version that just go even harder. Man, man. Like, like I said, yeah. my favorite song from the '90s. It's like the quintessential '90s song to me. I will put yeah. that on, and I'm always I never get tired of hearing it. Yeah, for sure. So salute to Tammy Lucas all day with that. And yeah, like Joy, that's one of those songs that I remembered, but I didn't really like pick back up on it until after Mike died. And I'm like, yo, this song was fire, fire. Fire. Yeah. So, yeah. so I still play that one. And it's so many different versions. They had the Uptown Joy and yep. the video <laughs> version. It was like four different versions of it. So she was yeah, everywhere. So, yeah, for real. So salute to Miss Tammy Lucas. Uh, my pick for this episode, similar era, but a little bit later. Um, I'm going to go Playa and Static Major, of course, as well, but Yo. Playa primarily. So, yeah, so anybody who's a Timbaland fan knows about Playa, and anybody who was there in that moment knows about them. If you weren't there, you might not know as much, but they're a trio who actually came from Louisville, Kentucky. They weren't from Virginia, but they connected with Timbaland and Swing Mob, and they got with them early, mid-90s, and they actually had an album that... It was unreleased back in like 95 that had a lot of Timbaland production on there, but it didn't really, um, it didn't get released. So they didn't really take off until they dropped that Cheers to You. Uh, Cheers to You album was around 98. They had a first single that made a little bit of noise. It was that Don't Stop the Music, but that title track, Cheers to You, that's where Timbaland basically took the same exact drums from One in a Million, but kind of evolved it. To me, I actually liked the overall beat and overall production better on Cheers to You than One in a Million because it has... A little bit more advanced chords going on uh, on there. So it's really the same exact thing in a yeah. weird sense. But they, the harmonies on there are so fire. So that's one of those songs that still stands out to me from that era. And with that, they they worked a lot with uh, Timbaland, period. They had the vocals, the background on Are You That Somebody, of course, with Aaliyah. So everybody knows Don't Sleep. You know that would be weak. That's them right there with those harmonies. And that's because Static Major. Static was a producer, writer who... Worked a lot with Elias, so he co-wrote that Are You That Somebody, uh, the Try Again, Back in One Piece, like almost anything from that era you heard Timbaland do with Elias. Static was right there Static. writing it and co-producing, and Static also co-produced Pony, which is one of those trans transitional beats that when you when we first heard Pony, it was just like, what am I listening we, to? Yeah, it's, we never heard it before, and it still sounds crazy. Like you yeah. still drop that, like. Whenever I do a wedding, it feels like that's the garter removal song. They always ask me to put on Pony because it just has that. It's the weirdest hybrid of being like an upbeat. It's a slow jam, but it's not a slow jam because it, it has an energy to it that you just can't can't match. And Static definitely worked with that. He worked on, um, you know, with Nicole Ray on that Make It Hot album. And that's one of those kind of like not forgotten about songs, but you don't really hear it that much. But if you were there in that moment, you still love that and sing sing along to it. And I, I think Static's biggest moment was a few years before he passed, I think, when he did that lollipop with Wayne. And mm -hmm. even that lollipop track with Wayne was one of those songs that when it came out, everybody was almost confused because Wayne had just been killing all these verses at the time, all these like legendary Carter Three uh, unreleased leak verses and the, the mixtapes and the features that he had in 07. So 08, we were all hyped for Carter Three, the official version. And that first single came out, we were like, it's all auto-tune and it's different. But the more we heard it, it's like, it's kind of kind of fire. And that was that was Static Major right there. So it's like, yeah, like, I don't hear it as it much was, anymore. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was, it was, it was fire. It was, it yeah. was I, I got to admit, it was different. You don't, you wouldn't expect it from Wayne, but mm -hmm. 
it 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 hit. And then another one uh, when he did the um, "Say My Name" Destiny Shall remix when Static. Oh, did that remix! That, that yeah. is my favorite version. Like Stat, and I talked about it with other people, but Static is one of those people that I think hmm. Aaliyah's music not being um, accessible for so long kind of hurt him mm. in terms of like the younger generation knowing him and the work yeah. that he does because a lot of his best stuff I feel was with Aaliyah, but he's done other stuff. For but sure. you wouldn't know that because the music. It's set for so long and people weren't int- like able to stream it or whatever. But hopefully that's yeah. all going to change now. But I, when Cheers to You came out and the video was on uh, BET, was on BET. Midnight Love. Yeah. Man. That was an era. That was a moment. Man. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It was It was a moment. It was a moment. Yeah. Uh, for whatever reason, like, I always talk about how my dad was a straight up jazz head who didn't even like most R&B songs. But even when he heard that, he was like, who is this? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Just the way they, they put that together. Because the, they had the, the talent. Way. Yeah. They could they sing. Had, I think, if I'm not mistaken, um, one or two of the members is now with Drew Hill, I think. Yeah, one of them did join Drew Hill. He yeah. joined Drew Hill, yeah. It's funny how a lot of these groups now are just like combinations of other groups. Other and they groups. get together and mix them up. Like, it's... That's yep. how, it's almost like Menudo was back in the day. It feels like it's a, <laughs> it's a whole different type of thing. So it's like a new version of that. So yeah. So so salute to them. And also, um, they they're sampled on that um that that Drake. Look what you done. That was just like static and one of the members singing mm-hmm. and playing on piano and and they it turned that into a whole song on um that was a Take Care <laughs> album ten years ago. So. Yeah, so salute to Player and Static Major along with Tammy Lucas. And yeah. uh, to, to keep it going into that fast forward segment. Uh, the fast forward segment, we'd like to highlight artists, groups, producers who are making some waves at this moment and who are on the uh, path to success, at least from how we see it. And we feel that they should get that shout out. So for this episode, who would you like to highlight for your uh, fast forward? I got to go with my girl, Tim's. Like, she. Oh, she. Tim's. I, I'm in love with Tim's at this point, so I I want everybody to know how great she is. Um, yeah. she, I know everybody is recognizing her, of course, now from um, WizKids Essence, and yeah. you know, song of the year, I'm song, song of the of year. The like everybody knows year. about that because um, of her. Because she made of the her, song. she made the song, um, yeah. and she has such a unique voice. Um, but she's also on Drake's um, Fountains, so. She's 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 coming up, but I want her to hurry up and get here. Like she's she's making yeah. her way. She's um a singer songwriter and a producer out of Nigeria. She's self taught with most things. <laughs> so she said she learned to produce by watching YouTube videos, wow. which is just amazing that that's happening right now. But um her first single came out in 2018. It was called Mr. Rebel. Um she self produced that and. Everything happened by like word of mouth after that. Like she produced this song, sang the song, and was like, got on Twitter. You know, I'm I'm about to release a single. Help me out here. Soon mm-hmm. she had radio stations calling her. She found her manager through the release wow. of that song. So it was one of those things where that song was so special. It took off. Even her fans called themselves the Rebels now because her first song was <laughs> Mr. Rebel. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. she um when she did that though she. She went to college. She has like two or three degrees. She was studying economics and she was a digital marketer. So she didn't know that music was going to hit for her. Like she was trying. She was trying. She'd been trying before college and uh, telling her mom that she missed the deadline to do this and to do that because her passion was singing. But her mom made her go to school. So Meg Thee Stallion ain't the only one out here, you know, doing (laughs) college things and doing, you know, Tim's did all that. 
Um, hot girl scholars out uh, here. Hot, hot girl scholars, you know. <laughs> I see him. Like, I talked about how great her voice is because it's, it's heavier and it's, like, deeper. But she thought it was too deep and too heavy at first. So when she met her music teacher, her voice coach, she would sing in a higher falsetto because she didn't. Mm. She thought she sounded like a man, and she didn't think people would love that. I mean, and you heard, you could hear the same thing. Anita Baker has said the same thing about her mm. voice. People say they, you know, it's a unique yeah. voice. I love it. I think she's great. Um, her latest EP um, is what's it called? If Orange Was a Place, perfect from beginning to end. She doesn't have any full length albums. Her first EP was in okay. 2020, and that was a uh, for Broken Ears, um, which she self produced. 90% of it. And just like here in the US, we have different subgenres for R&B or for hip hop. In Nigeria, she is, if I hope I'm pronouncing it right, Alte. And that just means Alte, yeah. it's alternative. So yeah, it's, it's crazy that, you know, these sounds of the diaspora are just like dominating right now. And when I first heard, again, when I first heard Essence, I was like, you know, I didn't know Wizkid. Yeah. I, I got the album based on that song. Oh, really? Um, yeah. But once it was Tim's voice that really pulled me in. And that's, you know, like what everybody loves about the song. Not to hate on Wizkid because he's great. But Tim's is, you know, the reason why people love the song so much. So I really thought like, all right, let's give her some shine. Like she's Rihanna loves her. Drake loves her. She grew up. Huh. It's crazy because she grew up in Nigeria, but she grew up like. I grew up like she was listening to like Green Day and Lauren Hill and Lil Kim and Lil <laughs> oh, Wayne wow, is her like wow. number one. Like okay, he, he is okay. her number one artist. She's listening to Paramore and Destiny's Child. And it's like, okay, well, like, so she has yeah. all these different influences. She's lived in London for a while. So I really think she mm. deserves, you know, people. I, I, she's next. I know she's definitely next. So. She's definitely next. I'm just curious about how she's going to go about it and what's it going to sound like? What's the next album going to sound like? Or with the I first see album, yeah. I feel like, cause yeah, the thing. So the thing with Wizkid, when I was in Nigeria seven years ago, it was not Nigeria. I was in Ghana seven years ago, mm-hmm. but that's when Afrobeats was slowly getting to America. But like, it wasn't as big over here yet. And I got there, and that was the biggest thing in the world. And it was where Wizkid. They're telling me they're like, he is like the king over here. They said he was like their Chris Brown. And when Chris Brown came <laughs> out there to Africa, he has to have like like Wizkid brings him out, and it's like right. it was that type of deal, and. Uh, the thing about um, Afrobeats in America is that the last four or five years that it's been big in America, at least, it's been a few songs that we all know, but the, all the biggest songs came from Burner Boy and from DeVito and a couple other artists who had who had songs that um, even like Joanna came from um, from Afrobeat. And it's where mm-hmm. Wizkid, as big as he was in Africa and even being the biggest Afrobeats artist, he didn't really have the biggest songs in America. He had a couple right. that that we knew and played if you were at an Afrobeats party, but he didn't have that many that were at the level of the yeah, 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 and the if and the fall and those. Mm-hmm. So Essence was the, the one that came, and that's the first one that that really got huge for him, and that's like the biggest African song ever, especially in America when in it comes America, to the Hot yeah. 100. And yeah. like we said, it's all because of Tim's. It's, it's all like, because of Tim's. It's, it's like, like she starts audiences. the song, she has the chorus on it, yep. and it's like, and crazy enough, like when I listen to it, I feel like, I could actually kind of hear Rihanna singing it. It's something yeah. about it that I feel like, like I can maybe hear, she, yeah. I can hear Rihanna on it, and I think the reason why Rihanna loves Tim so much is because she recognizes the similarities. Like yeah. it's 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 
it's not the conventional voice. It's something it's like not. special about it. And I would love to hear them work together. I, For I mean, sure. do I think Rihanna's going to do music again? No, probably not. But <laughs> she probably don't have to. <laughs> she don't she have, to. have to. Yeah. But if yeah. if she did, I would love for her to work with Tim's because the, like those two voices together, I think it'd be crazy. I think that it's something different. Like give us something different and I think Tim's yeah. represents that. She's different. Yeah, she is. So I'm definitely looking forward to what she has. She actually came out here because Wizkid had a concert at the Hollywood, no, not Hollywood Bowl. He was at the uh, Novo, I think, downtown. Mm. Yeah, Brunner Boy at Hollywood Bowl. But yeah, and they said when uh, when Wizkid brought her out, everybody got hyped. And the next day she had her own concert. She had her own concert on a Monday out here. And they said that was sold out. So I'm like, yeah. she's getting out here with it. So, she's, she's out yeah. here. Adele is walking up to her and showing Adele is covering her songs like Adele wow. is showing her love and she's just like I, to think she didn't think she yeah. could sing she's like That's it's too crazy. Deep. I was changing my yeah. voice to sound like everybody else but nah she's doing it on her own that's wild to see so and salute to Tim's for sure so my pick for this episode is gonna be Brass Tracks so Brass Tracks yeah they it's a duo basically that comes from New York, uh, based in New York. One of them is from Manhattan, one is from Jersey. Uh, they have uh, Ivan Jackson is the one who plays trumpet, Connor plays the drums. And with Brass Tracks, they're the type of group that they do a little bit of everything. So you're going to hear solo songs from them as far as group work, and you're going to hear them work with other artists. So they're the type, I didn't realize that they work with so many artists and so many songs that I've I've been playing for years. So. Uh, one of the biggest ones that they've probably worked on is actually that Chance, the rapper, that uh, No Problem. So that's them on the uh, production, co-production with that. Then that Anderson Pack, Am I Wrong, with Schoolboy. That track, I've been playing that for years. It's one of my favorite kind of like modern disco-ish type songs. So that's them. That Gold Link, Dark Skin Women, they did that one. And that's that's one of those tracks from um, probably six, seven years ago. And Gold Link, you know, he has one of those kind of weird trajectory careers, whatever, but... That's one of my favorite songs from him for sure. And uh, they've played on SNL with like Mark Ronson. And they're known because they have a strong, uh, going with the name, Brass Tracks is where Mm -hmm. they have that trumpet on every single song that you hear, uh, especially on their group work. And it stands out because it sounds so authentic and it it gives them an energy. Like every song that you hear from them has a certain upbeat type of energy to it. So they have a cover to My Boo, of course, the uh, the track from uh, Ghost Town DJs and... It, it give it a whole new vibe, you know. I, I love hearing how they, how they kind of flip that, and they have a couple different projects. They have about five EPs, and they have two albums. But the the main new album is called a uh, Golden Ticket, and the first song I heard from that was that title track, and it features uh, Common and Masego, and it's it's the type of music that that I don't even like to explain because it's just you have to hear it to get what it is. It's like it has a very it's very polished. I'll say it's polished, and some folks might not like the polish. They might. Not think it has enough of that grit to it, but to me, it's very, very well produced. It's very, very clear. Like you hear everything very clear. It's, it's mixed properly, and the whole album has a similar tone. Is this where it's, it's that feel good music? I feel like when you, whenever you're hearing their, their, uh, their projects, like it feels like what you want to hear on, on the way from work on a Friday. Like the week is over, and I'm just trying to set the mood. I'm not trying to get too <laughs> hype yet, but it's just setting that upbeat energy tone for me. And they have. Artists and producers such as like Robert Glasper on their on their album, and it's just a, a type of a type of group that, that I love because everything they make just has that that type of feel to it. They have a lot of covers out there on YouTube, so I always I always just say go on YouTube and just type in Brass Tracks, and they have so many different covers and a lot of their singles and a lot of stuff that they do live is just has a, a very very uh, 
very dope energy to me. And uh, are you familiar with them a lot? Because I yeah, feel like, like they've I, been um, around for a while. It, it's crazy because I I appreciate the live instrumentation of it all so much. Like yeah, just thinking about um. Like I'm thinking back to like the seventies and the eighties and I'm thinking like Al Green's horn section and then <laughs> Earth Wind and Fire's horn section. Like like yeah. those people worked. So it's it's great that they're, you know, bringing that back at the forefront. I think they're insanely talented. I didn't even know yeah. it was only two of them, to be honest. Yeah, I you. thought it was like fifteen of them. I thought I it was swore a whole it was a true. <laughs> I thought yeah. it was a true. I didn't know. But that's, that's crazy. I no, I love I love yeah. their work. I want um and they, and not to say they haven't worked with any A-listers because they uh, obviously they have, but I want you know a breakout for them like yeah where you know something that's just like takes over like song of the summer or something like I think they deserve mm-hmm. that. I think so too. I think that they they're probably on that path, and I feel like they they probably will be strong in that kind of Mark Ronson ish type lane. And right, I would love to see even see them with like a Silk Sonic type of group. I think that would be a dope combo. That would be a dope yeah. combo. Like bring them in, work with them, and then yeah. you know. They're gonna profit off of the fame, of course, but you're gonna get it'll be a quality project because I've not I don't think they they don't not do quality. Everything they do is pretty much like you said, it's it's yeah. a polished sound that they have. So yeah, I, I would love to I would love to see them work with Silk Sonic. Yeah, for sure. That would be dope. I, I might have to put that in somebody's ear. I mean, I heard the album's done, which I hope, but who knows with them? Who knows? I I saw a track list and that might just be names mm-hmm. they put up one day. Yeah, know. just the okay. <laughs> yeah, nah. Yeah, we're not sure about that. But yeah, salute to Tim's and to Brass Tracks. Um, that is our fast forward for the day. So uh, when we come back from this break, we're going to get into uh, the drop. We have a special guest, Miss TLC, for the drop. And then we're going to end off with a beat match that's a little bit different, but we still want you to be tuned in for that. So we're going to take a quick break. But in the meantime, make sure that you do follow us Um on Instagram, make sure you follow that hashtag and hashtag whatever questions you have for us at hashtag behind the wheels pod. If you have any suggestions for any of our segments, send us an email to behind the wheels pod at gmail.com and we'll be right back. Everybody who's tuned in, what's going on? We are back. It is time for The Drop. This is Behind the Wheels. We have a special guest today, someone who we love having discussions with. Straight from Brooklyn right here, we have Miss TLC in the building. Miss TLC, how are you doing? Good evening, everybody. I'm doing well. Looking forward to this musical deep dive. I appreciate everything you guys converse about on the regular. I appreciate your perspectives. I love having conversations with people who really get it and really have passion about music and the details behind it. So I'm looking forward to talking to you about it. Thank you. I appreciate that. So yeah, before we get right into it, let everybody know who you are as quick as you can. I know you've done so much, but within 
you know, whatever you your your main bio headline I mean, tags are. My you know. yeah, my my main thing is just that I have worked at probably every label in some capacity. I'm one of those rare people who's worked in publicity, music programming, production, business affairs, legal. Just so happened that's how my career kind of laid itself out in front of me and I took the opportunities that I did. So I've seen every aspect of the music industry from start to finish, like reviewing lyrics, clearing side artists, being in the studio and so there was you know an opportunity to obviously step away from the behind the scenes corporate side to do more consultation and freelance work but i feel that my perspective is valuable to people that maybe don't understand the business side as much because i mm. also have the artistic side i went to nyu to sing okay. i was in the vocal performance program i've sang my whole life um, but it just right. wasn't something that i pursued fully professionally because i got into the business side so i see both yeah. sides of a lot of arguments which is why i understand the intersection of commerce and creativity and why people sometimes butt heads so i just like to <laughs> you know, weigh in on that for people. For sure. It happens so much. We, we've had so many topics and discussions just about artists trying to stay relevant and about sacrificing their creativity just to try to get those dollars. And we understand mm. because you're living off of it, but at the same time, a lot of times we feel like, you know, we, we want to hear you make the best music, but we can get into it. So right. one topic that we've talked about a lot, especially on social media and especially for, I think, my generation, people who grew up, who didn't really get into hip hop until like the mid early mid 90s even late 90s one of the funny things is that we're having that coming of age where the stuff that we grew up on is getting sampled now and a lot of folks have these complaints about it and i've had to always put it into perspective so one one example that i've given is that like uh between the sheets was sampled three times maybe four times in 94 it was 10 years old at that point but it was sampled by uh the brat with funkify keith murray with uh, the most beautifulest thing and biggie with big papa and it was 10 years old. So a lot of songs now are getting sampled that are 15, 20 years old. But because it came out for us when we were in middle school, high school, it just feels weird, I think. And I get it. But uh, what's your opinion about that? Just to get into it, because I, I have a lot of thoughts. But I, I do think that there's an element like you're you're touching on of that nostalgia crossed with, you know, feeling old. Like no one wants to feel like oh my goodness, I can't believe the stuff that I grew up on is already being sampled, you know, but um, I think that people want to kind of, you know, uh, downplay the things that are being sampled for that reason and say, oh, this is still mm. too new or, yeah. you know, it's not um, a classic yet. It's not, you know, a legendary song. But what people don't realize, like you said, is that a lot of the stuff that was being sampled when we were younger um wasn't that much older either you know a lot of the stuff that like you know puff obviously came out sampling bringing back a lot of that 80s stuff and he was doing it in the late 90s you know early 2000s wasn't that much long ago but i will admit that i was one of those people who you know with the Khaled rihanna rihanna wild thoughts you know maria maria situation people like oh but i still remember this from santana even though there was elements of other songs previously but it's like this just sounds like santana you know maria maria to me and it really felt like perhaps to some people me included that it wasn't that long ago but it was so when you do the math between like wild thoughts and maria maria it's actually similar to like in I'm coming out, no money, more problems. So, you know, it then you take, uh, I'll be honest, you know, uh, Summer Walker, you know, with the come through Usher sample. 
when I first listened to her, that song, you know, I will admit again, you know, it's just a natural reaction that as soon as you hear that, it's like, oh, come on. Like you're, this is lazy. You're already bringing back like a Usher classic, you know, wasn't even that long ago, but that song is like 25 years old from Usher, which is crazy. I think, I think it's actually, what is it? Like it might be 23. Yeah. 23 years old. So 23 years old, like clearly it's time to bring something back. That's definitely enough time. But because we grew up with it and it's so fresh still in our minds, like if a song's really good, you're still listening to it on the regular. So to me, like, I don't feel like that Usher music is that long ago, like almost a quarter of a century ago, <laughs> you know? So it's, it's hard. Cause I think that, you know, bringing something back to the forefront is always a good thing if people perhaps didn't even know about the reference track because it might make them interested in it so it's helping a resurgence for those artists you know as long as people have an open minds about it of course there's always going to be people who are like i don't care the old stuff sounds dated i just like the new version of it and there's nothing you could do about that if somebody doesn't want to learn they don't want to learn but there's a bunch of people that I do know in Gen Z and Generation Alpha, you know, and beyond. I teach my nieces and nephews all the time. They're little kids, but I'm teaching them about older, you know, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s music. And they appreciate it. They understand like the connections between stuff and they might ask me to throw on the older version of something. So if that's the case and you're going to get somebody interested in a song that did come out 23 years ago, that maybe they didn't know it 23 years ago, and then they're going to go back and listen to the rest of Usher's catalog. Like, you know, I'm all for it. That's definitely what happens because it's, it's crazy that you say that too, because us being, you know, the ones who are there for it, we feel like it's obvious. We're like, obviously that's Usher, obviously Wild Thoughts is Santana, but I'm sure it's kids who heard the Wild Thoughts, and if they heard Santana, they'll be like, "What is that?" And I mean, right, right. Even they'll even think it's that's close a remix yeah. or something. Like they'll exactly. think that that's yeah. a sample, and they're like, "Well, why did why is he copying this?" And it's like, "No, this yeah. you you don't even remember this because you weren't there and you didn't have the right. education. Like you didn't have the older brother, cousin, sister, whatever, auntie to teach you or to play this stuff in the house." So you don't even yeah. know that this was what, I mean, it dominated radio, like dominated radio. But now, you know, if you were born in like 2000, you probably don't even remember. Like you have no reference at all. That's what it is too. Yeah. And one thing, so, you know, with that, uh, I have a, another question uh, coming from that. So one argument that I have seen is that, okay, um, somebody responded to me saying essentially what you said, but they were like, okay, that makes sense that 15 years is 15 years, but they feel that, Music evolved a lot quicker in that from the 70s to the early 90s. Because, I mean, I do agree with that. It changed every two years. So a song from 81 sounded dated by 84. 84 sounded dated by 87. You know, so every three, four years versus the last 15, 20 years, it feels like it's kind of slowed down. It's where mm -hmm. music hasn't evolved as quick. So maybe with that, it feels like it's not going as far back as it actually is. Do you agree with that part or how do you see that? I do. That's that's a really good point. I do think that there's stuff that was created five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, and might sound exactly like what's out. You know, a lot of people have found kind of like a winning sound, something that click with people and they just keep doing it. 
So that is very possible because it's true. If you, you know, if, if you're a music enthusiast and you really understand certain changes and shifts in the sonic landscape, you can listen to things from, like you said, 81 and 84 and know, like if you had to guess and you were on a game show for that, which PS, that would be a good game show. Like they have, a you know, great Shazam, game show, yeah. they should do it where it's like, guess the year and they'd give you, you know, multiple choice. Like if you hear this type of percussion, what year do you think it was made? So, yeah, I mean, I do think that there's a change there. I do think another major point, which is sad but true, is that nowadays, you know, because attention spans are less than one second long, you know, and the whole world is moving towards that with, you know, the TikTok generation, people don't listen to something for that long, you know, meaning like past a month or two, which is terrible because there could be so many quality projects out there, which is another component of it because there is an overload. People just got, you know, a couple subscriptions and you have access to millions of songs and albums. So something could come out that's amazing. Five-star album, you know, should win every award under the sun, but people may listen to it for like a month and then move on to other stuff. So a year from now, they may kind of forget it. Like that feels like, something nostalgic to them a year ago so if you listen to an album that was dope amazing next level you were listening to it every day but then a year from now you're like oh wow i haven't listened to that in a year it actually feels new to you so if somebody were to sample something from a year ago i would be mad at them i would think that's crazy that's lazy that's ridiculous but it may remind people of something that maybe they even missed the first time around or didn't concentrate enough on the first time around. Because now things are moving so quick, fast, that I guess the time compression is just different. You That's know? a crazy way to say it. Because that, that happened with Kendrick Lamar. He, uh, on his uh, Section 80 album, he sampled a song from King. And that song was only mm, maybe a yes. year old. But it was where that King song was never big. It was never even on radio like that. So it kind of helped them out because it was where... A lot of folks heard the Kendrick song first, so that and that's something that's kind of happened even since the the eighties and nineties. Like even with like uh, Booming System versus Invoke, hold on. I feel like a lot of songs did get sampled, or there was sample song that just came out and just flipped a little bit. So that does make sense as far as things moving. And I'll ask you, what do you think about that as far as replay value goes? Because that's a great point that I realized maybe. I got on title I think three years ago. I never had anything streaming, so I was still almost like downloading whole albums or buying them and putting them on the flash drive for the car. But once I got titled, I realized that like it was a huge difference between me and high school. In high school, I was actually buying CDs. So that one CD might be in my deck for a whole month. Or I might have five in rotation the entire summer. But once mm -hmm. I got on title, I'm like, I might hear an album, listen to the whole thing, love it. But then the next day is like, I heard that yesterday. Let me listen to something else. And then I don't go mm -hmm. back to that previous album for three or four months. And it's like, I I've even said to myself, I played this album two months ago. Let me hear something different. And that sounds mm -hmm. insane because we used to play the same stuff every day when we had CDs. So do you think that yeah. the streaming the streaming sites do make it where we just, it's too many options and we, we don't even appreciate and sit on music the same way? It's, it's terrible to say as someone who is, my entire life has been music since I've been in the womb. Like for real, it's my passion. It's my life. I want, you know, give it to me over and over again all these different artists genres i love it i just can never get enough of it but i will have to admit that yes i do think that streaming has created a log jam for people that there's just too much and they're overwhelmed like you just now have this entire library like the the, the excitement and the science of the philosophy of discovery 
back when you used to have to go into a store and put some headphones on and listen to, you know, you'd be excited if like the choices that they pulled were something that you wanted to listen to anyway, like a new release. And you were thinking, oh, I'm not sure I'm going to buy it yet, but let me just listen to it. And then you had to make your selections carefully because you didn't have the disposable income to be buying, you know, 10 albums at a time. So you were very, you know, careful in your curation of your own collection. So then, yes, if you brought something home, it was like a gem to you. So you did feel like this is all I want to hear, like morning, noon, and night, you know, day in and day out. Um, but now it's kind of like, you know, a kid in a candy store. You like, I could search for any genre, any topic, any playlist, you know, and everything's there. And, you know, me thinking back to like childhood me and, you know, having access to that, that seems like the best thing in the entire world. Like, oh my God, for real? Like I could press play on any of these things. But it does become overwhelming because I am one of those people who I do want to pay proper attention to the artists that I really, you know, follow and that I look forward to their projects. You know, I do believe in people spacing things out. I do feel bad for the artists that in order to just keep themselves in the forefront nowadays and to keep the money flowing, they feel like they got to be dropping stuff all the time. Because I do like when people take a break, live a little, develop their next sounds, and then you look forward to the projects. And then I want to sit with it for a long time. Like, okay, you gave me this project. Now I want to love that project for two years or longer, you know, let yourself tour. You know, I love that everything's moving towards these deeper conceptual pieces with art and, you know, like Tyler's one of my favorite people and to create these videos and these characters and these storylines behind your album and the lead in packages and you get your little passport and everything. I love all that, you know, but unfortunately that gets shadowed by, okay, so Tyler came out now next weekend, there's 47 other albums that came out, you know, and I'm the one fighting in the background. Like, well, I still listen to, you know, every day. I still listen to flower boy and Igor. I still go back to goblin. I still like listen to all of it, you know, but a lot of people are like, Oh yeah. You know, I love call me if you get lost, but you know, I listened to it like three times that weekend. And that was that. And I'm like, Oh no, I try to make sure I listen to it at least a few times a week. Still, you know, you still want to throw it in rotation. Yeah. Cause I've seen that complain about a lot of, a lot of albums and it's always people who aren't fans. So even people who, who aren't Drake fans, like I've seen them say like, like, yeah, like nobody even listens to CLB anymore. And I'm like, people do. It's just that you probably don't because you probably got <laughs> right. tired of it because you, you, didn't, you didn't buy it. So it's just you can right. just stream it for free. So you, you might not have that same motivation. So it does make a, right. huge, a huge difference with that. Like, just I'm just curious. What's an album that you can think of back in whenever it was, 90s, 2000s, that you remember going to different stores to find because it was sold out? When you finally found it, you were hyped. Like, I finally got my hands on it because I remember those days when we would drive store to store and it was sold out. Well, the the thing is, and um, I know everybody always wants to, you know, give the New York people a hard time that they're full <laughs> themselves and they just want to talk about, you know, how they're the best of the best. But I, mean... I will say, <laughs> when you grow up, like I'm born and raised Brooklyn, New York, like okay. I've yeah. traveled all over, but I've lived nowhere else. So growing yeah. up in New York City, it's like you do have access to things that I do have sympathy for. And I understand that in other places, maybe you didn't have access to maybe the supply of something or concerts or you know various stores like okay that store sold out I go across the street kind of thing so I don't really recall a particular situation where something was sold out and I had to keep looking for it per se 
But I will say one of the stories I always go back to because I will never forget the impact it had was with that Get Richard Die Trying. I mean, especially because it was New York. I mean, the morning that dropped, there were lines like around the blocks at like the Best Buys. Like you would just drive around Manhattan and like you knew you could sense the people that were like waiting to get their copy. You know, there there hasn't been that kind of like global excitement over something for so long and it just got you hype because then like you got your copy you ripped your label off like you wanted to be in the mix with everybody to be you know like oh i'm on the same track oh you know i love it too everybody's you know blasting it from their car i mean i will say i will say i know people had mixed feelings about it i'm a huge j fan so i really enjoyed it i loved it for what it was but with 444 like that was definitely a moment in Brooklyn that you like those couple weeks after it came out, like you could hear everybody like kind of blasting it from their windows, which I appreciated. Like it just makes you feel like you're in that experience with everybody, like just blasting it, like down Flatbush and everything. Like you just know that it's like everyone's sitting with this album and dissecting the lyrics and, you know, appreciating it for what it was. Um, you know, I had gone to the release party at 4040 and you know, it just was a moment. Like people were just glued to like trying to, you know, write down the lyrics and, and record little bits and pieces as the songs came on. And, you know, obviously there were some Prince references. So I was excited about that as well. But, you know, that was definitely like a much more recent moment where I felt like everyone was on the same page. Like I can't wait till this drops and we all, you know, hear it together kind of thing. But that's that's something else that you just touched on it. That experience of everybody being on the same page and listening to the same thing that doesn't happen because of streaming you know it you know by the time the next album single whatever comes out if you take a minute off you're already behind so you want you're trying to already listen to the next thing but while somebody else is still on the last thing we didn't grow up like that we had those moments where you would hear everybody riding around with the same cd in the car like if you were in a car with your family y'all all were listening to the same thing it was just the radio there were no headphones no uh phones no ipads no ipods like none of that so it's like that whole experience somehow has gotten lost and I, i'm not sure if it's because of uh streaming um sites or if it's just because there's so much out there that it's impossible for all of us to have that experience mm -hmm. at the same time yeah, I mean, you know what's interesting, too? When when a high-profile album drops, like, I'll even go back to Call Me If You Get Lost. So, like, a lot of people, uh, you know, that were on my timeline, like, everyone was on the same page that they couldn't wait till midnight to, like, actually listen to that one together. Um, I don't remember ex if that was one that actually was midnight or, like, 2 a.m. I know some of them, like, jump around now. They do with 3 a.m. or, you know, yeah, a Pacific yeah. Time drop. But, you know, the problem is that people want to be the one to talk about each and everything so i think this like also touches on what you just said that even if they love tyler and they can't wait to consume the whole project they want to be the first one to talk about like track 10 so like maybe when it drops they just start skipping ahead and then they <laughs> oh, want to wow. already start writing their think pieces for like the end of the album but <laughs> other people crazy. are like but this is a cohesive project like i want to yeah. listen to it in order i don't want to be skipping ahead but if you're all going to start talking about the sample uh, you know at the end of the album you know now uh, you're ruining it for other people 
you know, not to say that you have to be a part of that, but it's like, you know, if, if you nice. are just a community oriented music fan and you're like, yeah, I want to have that experience. I want to see what people are talking about, but you get these, you know, little brats who want to jump ahead and try to ruin things for people like, oh, there's a hidden yes. verse from so-and-so. And it's like, mm, come on. Yeah. That's, like, that's just because you had to be that. the first to talk about that. Because. I've definitely thought about that. That's why I'm laughing because I remember, <laughs> I think it was, um, what album was it? I think when Meg dropped, Meg the Stallion dropped, I remember going on Twitter and it was like 9.03 Pacific, which is like 12.03 <laughs> Eastern. And somebody was doing that like, like the album is, 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 is already classic. Number nine, something something featuring SZA. And I'm like, how are you on number nine already? You couldn't you, have you, been up to that track, right? Yeah. You didn't like, have the time to listen to one full track. So you yeah, seriously. sit with it. Yeah, yeah, so it's like people just always have that that, ur that urge and rush to be ahead with stuff. So that's def definitely something that we got to deal with, the, the good and bad of this generation as far as streaming goes. So uh, when you were talking about 444, you mentioned the artist who I might be a huge fan of named um, Prince. Oh, uh, well. Yeah. Well, well, well. <laughs> that is my number one. I would say so, too. Yeah, I, I think. And I would number say he's, yeah. two and three. No, <laughs> he's, he's number one. <laughs> I would say, I would say for, uh, for me, he's probably my number one. One thing with Prince, so tell me if you agree with this, because one thing that I realized later in life, because I grew up in that era where it was still about Mike, even though I, I missed the whole Thriller era. Mm -hmm. I kind of caught the bad era, but I was definitely there for Dangerous, but he was still the biggest thing in the world. I kind of knew Prince's name. It was like, okay, I know Prince, he's the kind of weird guy. And then I remember in 94, <laughs> he dropped like Crystal Ball. I was like, okay, my family's excited. I don't really get the hype that much. And I remember seeing the video for Kiss probably in like 94, 95. I was that that behind. And it was where, okay, I'll get his greatest hits album just because that, that song was kind of cool. Right. I heard that. I'm like, these songs are cool. These songs I just don't get, whatever. I didn't really fully get into Prince until like college and really after college. And one thing that, that, I, that I feel is that Prince's best music is not necessarily his singles. I feel like his singles and the songs that everybody knows are mm -hmm. not his best work, especially if you're a, a true R&B hip-hop fan. And mm -hmm. a lot of times, people who are like in their early, mid-30s who are not Prince fans a lot of times, it feels like it's because all they know is those main songs, those main big singles. And all my favorite songs for him are, are nothing close to big singles, like Housequake and and oh, Head yeah. and oh, Sexy Dancer oh, and Adore. And are like two of my favorites. Yeah, like even Adore. <laughs> I feel like um, mm -hmm. I remember playing Adore at a wedding one time back in 09, and my younger DJ friend was there, and he was like, that's the song Jamie Foxx uh, played on, on, on his mm. skit. And I'm like, that's mm. where he got it from was there. But even right, me, I didn't know right, Adore right. until probably 05. So how do you feel about mm. that as far as Prince's best work not really being his singles? or? Yeah, I mean, I do agree. I feel like, you know, that's that's kind of a common thread with a lot of artists. I feel mm. that, you know, the single is chosen because there's a relatability factor with yeah. the, you know, biggest bang for your buck, the most people that are going to, uh, you know, feed into the sounds of it. If it's the most innocuous, you know, easily digestible kinds of uh, track that they can get out there and, and that, you know, the most radio stations will pick it up and, you know, you could have a cute little video that goes along with it. 
Um, and a lot of times, you know, I mean, you've heard a million stories, artists will butt heads with the label off of single choices. You know, they might not agree. And clearly, you know, Prince, it was a very uh, widely understood fact that he had his issues with the label side of things when it came to creative he felt like you know you get you make me sign the contract which you know i'm not really fond of but i'll play the game but you need to step out of the creative process and he felt you know part of the creative process is choosing singles um but the label you know i always as I said before, like I weigh in with that perspective and it's like, well, the label essentially is a bank, you know, I mean, they're a corporate entity, they're going to look into their investment and their money and, you know, how they get the best return. Um, so there might be an individual person at the label, whether they work, you know, as your A&R or artist development or, you know, anyone that's really kind of there for you as an advocate who agrees with you, but there's still times where the higher ups are, are still going to, you know, pick in the end, like, this is what we're going to put the most money behind because this is going to get us the best return. I do think that Prince himself, though, at times, when he did have the power to kind of choose certain singles, he also maybe, you know, made missteps in that uh, regard. And plenty of people, like, in the community, like, break that down all the time. They'll go album by album and say, you know, I don't know why he went with this. And if he had gone with this, like it would have been a bigger hit. And, you know, why didn't they service both of these at the same time? You know, cause he was the king of B-sides and it's like, he just had so much music that it was kind of hard. I personally think for him to even focus on what is the best of this because he, as most artists felt like, well, everything's the best. You know, he commonly would say all the time, if you ask him, you know, what's your favorite album that you've done? And he'd say the next one, you know, so he knew like he was always on to the next. And so he felt like, you know, I don't need to get so caught up in, all right, this is the single, because if you listen to music, like I want you to listen to music, you're buying this album and you understand it's an entire project and you're going to, you know, eat, sleep and dream through all of these tracks. So it shouldn't really matter what the single is. Now, I do agree with you that unfortunately, when people just look at the grandiose, you know, pop hits, they tend to perhaps write them off and say, oh yeah, 1999, Little Red Corvette, okay, so, you know, when Doves Cry, purple rain whatever it's like because they know them as these nostalgic 80s tracks which are very synonymous with the 80s and they don't even pay attention to the fact that even though that may have been a huge pop hit and you know specifically 1999 became a novelty because it was shouting out a particular year that then led to you know the whole millennium and the y2k and all of that so it was like there was just an in to kind of you know come through with that even though it was made you know 17 years prior but um it you can't avoid that it's just a catchy phrase then that a lot of people know and i think that that weighs it down and makes it like a saccharine kind of write-off track to a lot of people but it's like no hold up like 1999 like had michael shook like because of the wall of sound that he was creating with those synths so they're not you know just disregardable throwaway tracks it's just that when you listen to everything else that he does it's like oh but there's so much just deeper more soulful more you know anything you want you want the chill songs the sex songs the rock songs the pop songs like whatever it is he's got it so if you dive deeper into the entire catalog yeah it does blow your mind because you're like wow like i only knew him as you know this guy putting out these like cute little you know oh diamonds and pearls people want to you know dance to it at their wedding kind of thing door and this and that but it's like no there's like 700 or seven 
thousand clearly 70,000 other tracks where that came from you know and you kind of need a curator to walk you through it and I know that that's intimidating and daunting to many people because you kind of do need that guide someone who is already an expert in the print space and you could tell them like okay these are the chat this is something similar that I usually like from other artists this is what I usually go for I usually go for this type of content this type of lyric this type of harmony blah 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 and then they could come back and put together like you know a little 10 track album and tell you okay here these are the tracks that you should listen to from Prince because I know so many people who I've exposed in that way and I know other friends who have helped others through it in that way and they're <laughs> wow. like oh okay because wow. I never heard that song yeah. you know and it's like I yeah. didn't know that he did this and it's like no he does everything it's just very hard to navigate and I get that you know yeah, that's for sure I feel like he like Prince himself was like 20 different artists literally because mm -hmm. even songs like like you just said I didn't know that he wrote Manic Monday until maybe four or five mm -hmm. years ago and like mm -hmm. once I hear it, it's like, oh, this is obviously Prince. Like when you listen to it, it sounds like a Prince song, but it's just, mm -hmm. it doesn't, you wouldn't think it was him because it's not him singing it. But the melody sounds a lot like 1999 on there. Just the the uh, verse melody on there is like, okay, I, I hear those parallels. And it's like, mm -hmm. I didn't know he had the jazz albums until a few years ago. Oh it's my like, God, I love, I love his jazz work. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like those things. And we we're talking about samples earlier and that's something that it makes a lot more sense looking back at now, but with Prince... Um, you probably know even deeper than me, but it seems like he only allows certain artists to sample him. So like Tupac sampled him twice. He sampled the Morris Day song with, with uh, What's Your Phone Number from 777-9311. And on To Live and Die in L.A., he sampled, mm -hmm. um, you if know, I Was Your Girlfriend. Baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, yeah, TLC, well, the, TLC, right, thugs. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. Well, he had the uh, thugs get lonely too. He had his "Bye Was Your Girlfriend" also. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting um, it's an interesting factor in his career because you know I. I no, we're not talking for five hours, so I can't get into all of it right now because I could talk about it forever. But a lot of his own, you know, issues with the industry made a lot of sense. And he had, you know, gripes with sampling and covers and things like that because he did feel very personally connected to his art and his work. And he felt like there's no reason for somebody else to take it and do something else with it or try to make their version of it. And I respect that and I get it. Um, there are though many, many, many examples in music history of people who have used his work, um, sometimes with direct samples, sometimes with interpolations, sometimes they would just lift a piece of something for the sound bed and claim it was from something else, you know, like a case in point, there was, you know, the, the baby coup and like, are you that somebody people are like, oh, it's delirious. Like it's Prince delirious. But then, you know, Timbaland was like, no, it's not. It's from this particular like sample collection, which is true, you know, and you may know this already as a DJ, you can get all those like standard, like sound effect packs. And yeah, I mean, people can use any of that stuff. And then it could be that you just so happen to use the same thing. But more than likely, you may have heard it in something. And then to try to get around it, you'd say, well, let me find out where that was from. And then I'll do the same lift. And it's like, truthfully, you are kind of being inspired by that, though. And you are pulling it from that. But you know that Prince is notorious for not letting people actually take something like that. Um, there were instances, obviously, like you mentioned, Tupac. There's also instances with, um, you know, MC Hammer, obviously, like used a lot of Prince work. He claimed that 
not so much claims because it was a known fact they were friendly and you know hammer did film things at paisley park and they had a great relationship with each other and and prince's you know game boys in the early 90s his whole dance troupe of you know backup dancers singers uh was definitely inspired by the whole hammer movement you know if you really look back at the style and the dance moves yeah so they definitely had you know an, an overlap there and in that case you know it would be the greatest business move for prince to okay you know uh anything to be used on the on the mc hammer album because it was like it sold whatever like 15 million com 15 million copies or something but there's also people this is why it gets you know a little bit more complicated there's people who i've even interacted with in the industry for years who have everybody has these print stories and i've i've heard them all everybody will tell me you know different meetings and different conversations they've had with him you know we put out his 3121 album when i was at universal through republic through um that was 2006 and so you know i was privy to what went on with those contract negotiations got to oversee like the back and forth with the emails he came into the office like a few times for that went to a couple of like the showcases when he was debuting tamar at the time so it was it felt like okay there was one project that it was like i was a part of the rollout for it but he still obviously had his way about you know doing everything as an autonomous you know uh act and so i wasn't personally you know dealing with the the back and forth or weighing it on anything but um but it was interesting to see that you know people would tell you how they worked on a particular project where the artist wanted to use something Prince related and it was automatically denied. And so it became a thing in the industry that they were like, you know, if you heard your artist come to you with a demo or an idea and it had something to do with the Prince reference, they'd say, forget it, take it off. Like it's not going to work and that's it. But I've had so many people come to me with stories where, and some of these people are very big artists and I'm not even going to get into like calling certain people out, but everybody has these stories about that Prince did love them and appreciated them and reached out and told them that they love all their, he loves all their music and, you know, did let them use something. But then the other side of it that I've heard is that, no, there was people who were just doing things on their own, perhaps doing interpolations, replaying things, or just hoping they weren't caught. Um, or maybe they were caught on the back end and then they did have to pay, you know? So, I mean, there was the like, arrested development situation too. So I feel that, you know, not everybody who you hear a Prince reference or a Prince sample, even if it is on a major release and it's out there, was necessarily approved or, you know, necessarily agreed upon with Prince. Because the big thing with Prince is that he was a huge um, critic of compulsory licensing. He's not at all agreeable with the compulsory licensing clause. Um, and for people that don't know that, that's kind of what makes it possible for everyone to record cover tracks. That's always been just a thing in the industry. If you want to do a straight up cover, then you just have to pay your fee and you don't need the artist's permission. A lot of people don't know that and they think that, you know, you still do have to get an artist to approve you doing a cover. A cover, you do not. Samples, there is more of a negotiation. There's, it's a much bigger industry. There's sample clearance houses that focus on that. You know, it's a very lucrative industry. Um, but with compulsory licensing, you know, it's really just as long as the label's following up, making sure, you know, the publishing company, the label, whomever's getting their fees, it's cool and you could go do what you want. Now, Prince was against it, which I respect because of the reason that he felt 
if you if I'm making something and it's my track and then you go into a cover and let's say your cover blows up and then you become associated with that that feels like you attacked me and you assaulted me and robbed me in some way because that's my work and people's rebuttal to that is yeah but you're getting paid and it's like yeah but you're getting paid like a pittance in regards to you know something that I put my blood sweat and tears into so he didn't want people to be associated with his babies like he looked at his songs as his children he didn't want people to be you know kidnapping his children because it did you know we all have to admit kind of sort of happened to him with nothing compares to you with Sinead you know and you know Sinead with that song it's like yes you know she performed it beautifully it was really the video that like made her truly synonymous with it because that was like her big hit and everybody just pictures like her head with stark background and so everyone like thought it was just her song you know not that many people were following the family at the time or knew like prince's own versions of it um so i think that he was very hurt by that because once you see something like blow up and somebody's making bank off like your song and everybody's talking to them and in interviews and everything about oh my god you have such an amazing song with this nothing compares to you and it's like that's my song like I ran through that with the family and the revolution and later on with Rosie Gaines like that is my song so I do understand being annoyed by that you know I mean obviously Shaka hit it much bigger with I feel for you you know, won the Grammy. He got credit for it, obviously, because he was the writer, it was his song. But because he also had a working relationship with Chaka, like, I don't think that he was annoyed about that. Not, but also shaka was not made by i feel for you like she had 40 million other you know classics she's an established legendary artist and he respected her for that and respected her prior to that you know in the 70s and so you know he then later on the musicology tour was throwing you know sweet thing in the acoustic set all the time too like so it was a vice versa situation but like with the Sinead, it's like you took my work and then ran with it and you became famous off it now some people would love that a lot of people are like look cover all my songs because it just helps all of my work to get out there exactly but he was very much so against that because he just felt like it was a very like icky feeling to just have anyone decide like well i'm gonna put my spin on such and such so like he also did not like genuine's when doves cry at all um but he did like quentin tarver rest in peace his version for uh the Baz Luhrmann the Romeo and Juliet soundtrack which that was like a, a beautifully arranged version and he liked that so much that he actually agreed to give Baz an updated version of Thy Will Be Done which he had recorded his demo and then he gave it to Martika at some point and um he was going to do like a more uh, modern version and give it to Baz for The Great Gatsby but then it didn't work out like with the recording schedule and they needed to close that out um which i guess worked for the best because i feel like the great gatsby score soundtrack situation like did not match the tone and vibe of the movie like i was so thrown off by them like going to their like 20s parties like blasting you know like jay and it just it was so yeah it was just very off like i don't think that song would have fit but he was appreciative of that particular version but for the most part like he wasn't really one of those artists that would be like oh yeah send me your covers of my music i want to see the spin you put on it because he was you know he was very protective and he felt that it people doing a cover is kind of like them also showing you that it's like, well, you should have done this with it or you should have done a harmony at this part or maybe you should have done that. And he's like, don't tell me any of that. And then for his Super Bowl performance though, 
he did a whole bunch of covers, people were laughing because they're like, I think that he just wanted to show people that, you know, this black man could come out and kill all these like white rock classic songs and be like, well, I could do all that too. Because that was always his statement as well. Like, I could do anything any of y'all doing. Like, any genre, any type of music. Like, and I'll do it better than you. But you all can't come and mess around with the Lin and mess around with the synths. Like, that's not your thing. Yeah, for sure. Now, speaking of that, because you mentioned he didn't like the genuine. Do, do you know if he liked the Cisco? Wasn't it Cisco and Mariah, the beautiful ones? Well, it's... Mariah said, I mean, and again, everybody's stories are always different, but Mariah did have a wonderful relationship with him. And she was very respectful when he did pass, but in typical Mariah, hilarious, I love her to death shade. When she was interviewed by Entertainment Tonight after he passed, she was in Paris uh, on tour when she found out that he passed. And she was distraught. I mean, because like I said, they Uh did have a very close, beautiful connection. And she explained to Entertainment Tonight that after she found out, um, she knew she had to do something. She was, you know, beside herself for a while and had to delay the start of her show. But then when she did come out, she knew she had to throw something in the set to um, uh, honor him. And so she explained in this interview that she had performed one of her own songs and just shouted him out and said, you know, this is in honor of Prince. I love Prince. And she says, because, you know, he doesn't like cover songs. And I kind of like to throw shade at everyone under the sun that was coming out doing like Purple Rain in their sets, like for that month. She was like, you know, he wouldn't have liked it. If you really knew Prince, you'd know that's not the way to honor him. But she, you know, mentioned how he did allow and appreciate you know the the beautiful ones to be honored by her but she felt to herself like she was even being honest and she's like i don't think he was like really 100 percent keen on it mm, and it kills okay, me because okay. there are people who i still see to this day like all on twitter talking about how that's their preferred version and i'm like what i've seen what? that before i've I seen love it Mariah, yeah, like, backwards yeah. and backwards but please stop yeah Please I think stop. That's, that's generational. That's, that's for people who grew up more so on Cisco and Mariah, and they weren't there when the original came out. It has to be that, because, I mean, it's, it is certain songs when it comes to remakes that I do feel like could be better or are, are better. But even then, it's like, I, I don't like to say it because it's, it's a generational bias. Like, if I wasn't there in 75 and a certain song came out, I don't know how it felt at that moment. So it's going to be hard. Right. So, right. Like, yeah. you could take a Bilal, like when Bilal did the beautiful ones for the BT tribute to him. Mm. Like, that was mind blowing. That's okay. a perfect yeah. matchup. Yeah. You know, but, you know, even still, I mean, Bilal has hilarious stories about, like, oh, Bilal's Prince, stories you know, Prince. clowns him. His stories are. are just hilarious. I read some but, of those. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, that was a perfect yeah. fit. But that's rare. Like, D'Angelo yeah. could cover Prince. Yeah. And it's fine. Yeah. Absolutely D'Angelo fine. Do your thing. But, um, but yeah, I mean, for a lot of people, even though Mariah, like I could list, you know, 50 songs that I absolutely adore, no pun intended by her. It's like, nah, I don't need to have her do print songs. Yeah. But because they had that relationship, I guess he was like, okay with it to a degree. But yeah. uh, just because yeah, it was I mean, her, it, it would be rare. Yeah. yeah, it was her. yeah, yeah. Because it was a friend, but I just think it was like a rarity for him to really want to hear like he wasn't one of those people that you yeah. could just like throw it out there like hey you know i was playing around with your song want to hear my version of it and be like no nah, i'm good yeah <laughs> that feels like him that feels like him for sure <laughs> i'll say before we head out uh speaking on that topic uh so do you know how he felt about so um one thing i always noticed was like the old mid 2000s to late 2000s it was a lot of prince influence and i feel like a lot of it 
might not have been direct samples. Some of it was, some of it wasn't. But when I when it comes to everything from like how Pharrell would take Housequake and he used it on that Gwen Stefani, a Hollaback Girl, he mm-hmm. also used it on the uh, Robin Thicke, I Wanna Love You Girl. And then you had the songs from The Dream, the Fast Car type songs. You had the oh, Keisha yeah. Cole, Diddy, Last Night. You had the Sierra Promise. A lot of songs in that era had that strong Prince 80s influence. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. most got away with it because it was not directly sampling him like Kerry Hilson mm-hmm. slow dance but do you know mm-hmm. if he had any feelings about those when people would take his sound that was obviously his sound but because it was used a little bit different they probably got away with it well he has a, a funny uh shout out that he used to use back in the 80s when he had the first falling out with Jam and Lewis that mm-hmm. you know when they had gone on to of course massive you know deserved success with yeah. uh Janet you know, I mean, obviously they've done millions of things, but specifically with the Control album, you know, with What Have You Done For Me Lately, he uh-huh. started throwing it in his sets and he would play a little bit of it. And then he'd always like shout out, who wrote that? Who wrote that? Like to just be a jerk. Wow. To be like, Typical. you know, <laughs> I really wrote it. Like it's so deep in the Minneapolis sound. Like you got mm. it from me. Like, you're claiming it's your song, I mean, but yeah. it's mine. So I'm going to, like, play a lick of it and show my audience <laughs> who already loves me that I'm clearly doing it even better than you're hearing on the record because it's my song. And he would do that Shade all King. the way up to the Shade King when <laughs> I just spoke before of, like, you know, when he was debuting wow. his artist Tamar, when he did her showcase uh, tour in 2006 when he was working the 3121 Project, he was doing it even then because he would merge it with his song Party Man and it worked so Ooh. well together and he would go back and forth and whenever like it, the beat would drop and he'd get into what have you done for me lately, he would just have to throw it in there and be like, who wrote that? Who wrote that? <laughs> He's still doing it. And like his fans, it, of course, like totally got where he was going with it. You know, the yeah. fan community. Yeah. And they would, you know, totally give it to him to be like, yeah, that's a Prince song. Let's be honest. The whole Control album, that's Prince. It's Prince all over it. But, you know, that that's just who he was. That's so what, I'm yeah. sure there's like a part of him that was always, you know, uh, grateful. You know, he doesn't want to show the savvy part. But I think that he did appreciate that he clearly sunned so many people, you know, for decades. But at the same hmm. time, you know, he did have that little part of him that was like, but I'm clearly the one that's like influence and everything. Like it was that little Richard part of him where it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm clearly the one that birthed all of this. Like he you're was. all coming through with this sound because of me. And there's still yeah. people to this day that don't appreciate him, which is crazy for that reason. Because it's like, mm-hmm. but you do realize he like influenced so many other people's sounds. So and you still many. know that signature Prince sound still in 2020. As soon as you hear those drums, you know it's Prince. You know it's a Prince influence. Mm-hmm. Like it, it still happens today. Like the funniest thing is that even even in those late two thousands, it's where half of the R and B world was using his sound, but he wasn't using that sound because he he never went back to his old sound. Right. Every time he came he out with a new back. sound, yeah, he would never go back to it. So no, rest in peace to Prince for that. And um, I think it's it's about time to get into that beat match in a second. So everyone who's out there listening, um, uh, Miss TLC, where can they find you at on social media? Let them know. I am. I and A M Miss T L C M I S S T L C. So you could find me. I'm most active on Twitter, but I'm on uh, 
Instagram with that. I'm on Clubhouse. You know, I weigh in on some of the Flower Bomb stuff. Flower Bomb every Friday is such a great collective honoring all these legendary artists properly. Um, but um, I am Miss TLC, mainly on Twitter and Instagram. There it reach is. Reach out to me there. There it is. I appreciate you for coming to join us. We might have to get you back on here to get into it again. So I appreciate you guys so much immensely for what you're doing. We need all of this music to get its proper shine and proper due. So for sure, that is anybody who loves it as much as I love it, I'm all about it. So once again, Miss TLC, we thank you for being here with us. So it is time for that beat match. This one's gonna be a little bit different because it's not gonna be as easily recognizable as the other ones, but. It's something that EB uh, kind of brought to my attention. Uh, when I was on Twitch last week, Westside Wednesdays, I was playing um, some artists that, that we always talk about, and he brought this one to my attention. And I said, you know what? We might as well go for it. So this one, we're going to uh, compare, I would say, the two biggest hip-hop-influenced jazz musicians of the last, I would say, 15 years, 10, 15 years. And with that, it's going to be Terrence Martin and Robert Glasper. And yeah, we'll, we'll get into it. But uh, EB, if you had to take a pick between the two, who would you ride with just overall in terms of musician, producer, artist, like everything? And, yeah, combined, uh, you know, very hard because I love them both. But I, Robert, I got to go with Robert Glasper. I get it. I get it. And I mean, the thing is, I'm obviously biased, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I have to go with Terrence Martin, you know, for all right. the obvious reasons. But even beyond the bias, I... I have to rock with uh, Mr. Terrace. So for everybody who is listening uh, with our beat match, we have our producers, Melissa and the lady, as our judges. Um, and we we uh, go at it for, you know, we have a three minute um, three minutes to go at it. Then we have two rebuttals. And then the producers will say who came out on top in this, in this beat match. So EB, of course, as my guest, uh, go ahead and get into it. What would make you pick Robert over Terrace as a whole? I know it's, it's as, tricky, yeah, but yeah. It's tricky, but as a whole, like I said, I got to go with him. Um, and partially, I might be biased because I've seen him live so many times and I just yeah. respect his artistry. But he, they both do, but I think Robert Glasper has this special ability to just marry genres like nobody else does in the same way. Like when I saw him... Um, do a Stevie Wonder tribute and he had Luke James singing the songs or like the way that he will infuse like Radiohead into Herbie Hancock. Like, you know, things that you don't even think go together that his ear will pick up on. Um, I think that he's had a better training um, in terms of industry training and not, not uh, instrumentalist, but like, you know, he was a side man for like, I think two or three years, you know, for Roy Hargrove and Terrence Blanchard and Christian McBride. So, you know, he really picked up on that. He's been artist in residence at the London Jazz Fest, the North Sea Jazz, the Kennedy Center, Hollywood Bowl, Carnegie Hall, and the Blue Note. So there are all of these prestigious um, organizations and venues that have specifically chosen to have Robert be their artist in residence. He has four Grammy Awards, a primetime Emmy, like, He's one of the greatest. I mean, he did the Miles Ahead soundtrack about um, Miles Davis. Um, he did the original score for The Photograph, uh, Issa Rae's uh, film that came out a few years back that everybody loved. Um, he is responsible for a lot of Bilal's Firstborn, Second, and Love for Sale, like him working you know, on those albums. Um, his own work, 
as you know a solo artist i guess you could say uh like he's been able to have people like quest and solange and georgia ann moldrew pete rock ninth wonder erica badu mostef lube fiasco like all these people recording with him on his album um just black radio 2 alone like common brandy jill scott marcia ambrosius faith evans snoop dogg lupe like you get all those people on one album, I think is a dope thing. He even uh, co-produced the Nina Simone tribute with Lauren Hill that was hot a few years ago. Um, he is one of those artists that can work with the greats, but then he can also turn around and work with like newer artists. And I know they both do this, but I think there's something special about the way Robert does it. And it's like, I think Terrence has that East Coast um, influence and that... uh that, I'm sorry, that West Coast influence and that West Coast sound. Um, and, but I think Robert is more universal, if that makes sense. I don't think that his sound can be boxed into, you know, one area or one coast or one city, one genre. Like, I, he he is one of the greatest in that respect. So I got to roll with him. I get it. I get it. I mean, it's where I do respect um, Robert a whole lot. I'll say that I would say as far as his being a live musician, I give it to Robert all day. He's a better uh, pianist than I would say Terrence is as a as a trumpet player. I would give him that. But mm -hmm. my thing with Terrence, so going back to just how he got started. He started off, of course, Lock High. Anybody knows about Lock High. It was um, the band director, Reggie Andrews, who actually produced songs like Let It Whip for Dad's band back in the day. So he came, he was actually recruited heavily, like as a as an eighth grader, like for him to get recruited at that age where Reggie was like, I don't care if you live all the way over here, I'm, I'm going to convince your mom to bring you from a, a, a decent enough area off Crenshaw all the way over here to Watts, because I need you over here that bad. And as soon as he finished high school, he said, you know, college is cool, but nah, I'd rather play with Diddy and God's property. So he was doing that fresh out, 18, 19 years old. And with Terrace is where I, I feel like he actually has more range in a sense because he has a stronger hip-hop hold i would say so it when it comes to hip-hop like one of the first songs i heard from him was a song that's somewhat regional but crazy enough got bigger in florida than it did in la two and three joystick and the way he flipped that um that m2 made juicy fruit which we hear flipped all the time but i never heard it flip with that much energy is this the way he he took that and I feel like he's a type that can make those kind of bare Neptunes-ish beats. A lot of his stuff back then was more bare bones, 808s, and just drums. But even those were just like like dope productions. But for him to be able to do those type songs and then have a, such such a stronghold when it comes to that jazz type music, I feel like I would say that the music that when it comes to what they produced and what's on record, I prefer Terrace's mu uh, music more. I think Robert might have that advantage when it comes to live music. But when it comes to actual recorded music, um, of course, uh, Terrace has his projects. He has the Hear My Dear and the Three Court Fold, where even just the way he composed Hear My Dear, he has two songs with Kendrick back to back, kind of a story told. The first song, Give Me Some of You, is more so like setting the tone. I met this girl, she was a great, a great type of, you know, great whatever. Next song, called, I, I had no idea about how she broke his heart and she was just all the way out of pocket. And the whole album was kind of mirroring that Marvin Gaye Hear My Dear. That's why it was called that. So it was the a whole concept album. Then he improved this whole sound with Three Court Fold and had Layla Hathaway. The same way that you mentioned how Robert will bring artists together, he has Layla Hathaway and Snoop singing the Patrice Russian song together. And that's just something that's almost un unheard of, but you hear it and it makes a lot of sense. And even on that same album, he had Quincy Jones. Like to have Quincy Jones 
Like the person he looked up to the most growing up actually producing with them on the album was just the crazy thing, along with Thundercat and and the emotions and Kamasi Washington. But when it comes to that hip hop, we know him the most for, for what he did with Kendrick. And with Kendrick, he, he worked on that Good Kid, Mad City, doing that Mad City song with MC8. And hearing him do a song that had that aggressive type of like throwback sound, but then the flipping on a song like I'm Real with Anna Wise, like that's one of those productions that just sets the stage. I feel like he sets those songs where he knows how to make the song the star, but he can also make the song the stage and then let the artist be the star. So on I'm Real, I feel like he set that tone for Kendrick to really tell that story and to connect with the audience. And then everything he did with To Pimp a Butterfly was his next level. I mean, I probably I probably get cut off before I even finish talking about that. But everything from King Conta to These Walls to For Sale and For Free, the For Free, that felt like you are you watching the Spike Lee movie. Him just saying that kind of real busy, chaotic on purpose, jazz fusion type of type of song, you know. Um yeah. I'll pass it back to you real quick. I yeah. mean, just to be fair though, they both were on Kendrick's uh To Pimp a Butterfly and These Walls. They were? That was yeah. that was both of them. And they've worked together a, a lot. Like they had this super group with um Kamasi Washington and Ninth Wonder dinner yeah. party that formed last year. And then before that he was with um Common and Kareem Riggins. Um they had August Green. Like he uh Robert works with the most talented of the talented. Um even Everything he did for Black Radio and Black Radio 2, which were, they could be considered like his breakthrough or whatever. But for Black Radio, that was the first album in history in history to debut in the top 10 of four different genre charts simultaneously. So he was on the hip hop R&B chart, the urban contemporary chart, the jazz and the contemporary jazz. And then he did it again when he released um, Black Radio 2. So I think it's one of those things where for... for um, for Robert, even though they both have worked together and they continue to work together, have a great working relationship. Like you said, yeah. he is the better of the two when it comes to his musicianship or when it comes to like live performance. And that's what I appreciate most about him because I'm a concert head. Like I, I love everything about that. Um, when I heard, first heard that song with uh, Lettucey called Be All Right, Loved it when I heard him and Erica Badu do Afro Blue. Afro Blue. Loved yeah. it when he was with Chrisette Michelle in music with All oh, Yeah. Loved it. Like, I think uh, Robert creates these moments that uh, are sustainable for like the young millennial, the old millennial, like, as opposed to, you know, this is only going to rock with a certain group of people, or I'm going to be a part of somebody else's stuff and let them blow up. Like, I think. Robert goes for it. He's like, no, I want my shine too. Like I put in the work I deserve. Understood. I mean, I feel like it, it, that's what makes it tricky because they do have so much stuff that they did together and they have their own strengths. I feel like one of uh, Terrace's advantages is, is, is him being an MD. So speaking of Kendrick, he's actually the MD for all his shows. So anybody who's been to a Kendrick concert, I would argue that he's the best current live performer in the game, especially for a, for a, a modern rapper and even right behind the Bruno and Beyonce types, I would say he's top five. And a huge part of that is from Terrace when it, when it comes to what he does, putting those shows together. Like he knows how to connect it where even though it's hip hop and he's appealing to people who might not like jazz at all, he's able to kind of bridge that and show them, okay, like you're getting the hip hop, you're getting the gritty, but we're also giving that jazz influence on top. And I mean, one thing that I, I point out is that um, that's him playing on All Right, which was, was produced by Pharrell, but that's him playing on the, the horn on All Right. 
And I might be wrong. That's one of the first um, um, hip hop songs in a long time to have horns. That was a major single and and, a, and played at the club at that because horns were, were known in that early 90s. Like, and it was usually samples. You heard those like the Queen Latifah, you know, UNITY type songs and those old tribe and Digital Planet type songs. But when it comes to modern hip hop, you're not hearing a, a horn at the club at all on, on a rap song. So for him to even do that on top of a trap-ish type beat, that was just a legendary thing. So you see him perform on the Grammys and things like that with I mean, with uh, with Kendrick. So the scene that he's been able to be uh, transitional in that, and he also has done stuff with artists such as Leon Bridges and Busta Rhymes and the artist that you mentioned last week. I didn't even know that song, but Wyan uh, Vaughn, you got me. He, he produced that with Ninth Wonder, and a lot of his work with Ninth just makes so much sense. And I think that one thing with Terrence is that he's the type that's He's great wherever you place him at. He could be the one saying, all right, I'm the primary artist, but you throw him in as the producer, you throw him in there as just playing horns, as the co-producer, whatever it is, he's always able to kind of fill that that lane each and every time. And and even uh, when, when it comes to what he does with hip-hop, I feel like he can make songs that don't sound anything like his jazz side. I feel like with Robert, you always kind of know it's Robert. Whenever you hear certain horns, it's like, oh yeah, it's probably Robert right there playing. He has those, those kind of signature chords that he plays, those signature runs that kind of came from Herbie. But you hear a song like, uh, yeah, keep going, keep going. Well, I mean, I I love the fact that Robert has a signature sound because I think his at you know the essence of who he is is jazz. So no yeah. matter if he's infusing it with hip hop or gospel or R and B or rock, you you're still gonna know that it's jazz, and I love that about him because I think it's it's a genre that doesn't get um, the proper amount of respect from people in our age range and maybe a little older, make you know, and definitely people younger. Um, just a few of the people that Robert's produced for, like Mac Miller, Anderson Pop, Herbie Hancock, the legend, Crit, Brittany Howard, Bilal, Kendrick, Q-Tip. He's had Tiffany Haddish and Dave Chappelle and Angela Davis on his albums. Like, that's a different type of diversity where, yeah, you might groove a little bit. You know, you might hear comment of Black Thought or Yeah, but you're going to groove, but you also going to be educated about something. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, I love that aspect of his artistry that he's able to open the world of jazz up and make it digestible for people who normally would not listen to jazz. And again, like the work with Bilal is my fate, like Love for Sale is probably still my favorite Bilal album. And just, you know, the fact that they have this great working relationship. I think that that's part of the reason the album is so great to me, but I don't know anybody. Got you, got you. No, I definitely, I definitely rock with it. And yeah, salute to Robert all day. I just have to go Team Terrace. And I feel like, as I was saying, I respect that Robert always infuses jazz, but I think Terrace has been able to be a bit more diverse because when you hear songs such as a YG, um, um, Twist My Fingers, it, that's a super throwback LA type song, but for him to make a, a track like that. But then also a, the Dreezy song that Dreezy has with um, T-Pain. Like, have you ever heard, heard that song before? Like, Close to You. That's one of those songs that's just such a such a cool vibe, and it's it's a modern R and B type song, and it doesn't sound as much like everything you, else you know from Terrace. But I'll say he still has a signature sound that, even when it sounds different from his usual work, you can still tell it's him. He might have his horns come in, he might have whatever chords he plays, but overall, he's worked with a lot a lot of major artists as well. And seeing him perform with his with, with his idols like Herbie Hancock and Hollywood Bowl was a beautiful thing because he. He grew up on all these artists and always shouts them out. And he raps on top of all that. So even with everything else he does, he actually raps. And you, you hear his albums where he's actually rapping and he's a solid rapper as well. And he has he has tracks where he's just shouting out jazz artists. So 
I have to give him a lot of love for that. So either way, I feel like you can't lose with this battle, but no. I'm, I'm going to let our producers go for it. Uh, Melissa and the lady, who would you all uh, pick when it comes to this uh, this duel? Well, well, well. I'm not even going to say it. I'm not even going to say what I'm going to say. I mean, you were there when I saw Terrace, so. I know, I know. You know I've seen him. I got some front row seats in that thing, you know. I've seen VIP as well, you know. (laughs) Right, on Crenshaw. On Crenshaw. um, (laughs) (laughs) I think this was was really hard. I kind of went back and forth. There were some moments where I felt EB had a stronger argument. And then I started thinking about some shows I saw. I'm like, let me stick to this argument. And then there were times where I felt like, I just think you may have got me. So for me, this one was going to be a tie, um, especially since they have a lot of similarities. Um, Their impact is so massive when they work with different artists. Their talent by themselves is so massive. They've been in groups together. Like I just... I feel like it was a tie. Okay, okay. Okay. All right, Melissa, what would you say? Well, I came into this completely blind. I don't know who these people are. I'm <laughs> sure I know their music. Understood. Um, yeah. but I don't know them by name. <laughs> yeah. Understood. Um, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I really I, your both of your arguments were very compelling to the fact where I, I was like now I need to go look up who they are cuz I have no clue, but I I mean, I know artists that you named of course the other artists that you named of course that they've worked with um so i'm gonna have to call this one a tie too understood and i mean understood it's one of those cases where i feel like we almost on purpose did it just to kind of give them both their flowers too because i feel like a lot of people who listen might not be that familiar or they might know the names on surface but they don't realize that they they did as much as they did so it's like it's one of those things where i rock with them both i mean uh, even when we saw, we saw them both at, on Crenshaw. It was uh, Robert and and Terrence. They're both right there. So it's like you can't go wrong either way. They got their own strengths either way with it. So either way, salute to both of them. If y'all have not heard them or anyone else that we mentioned today, we have um, the Spotify playlist. So we have a little bit of everything. We have some. We have some. Uh, who all did we talk about today? We got we some Tim's about. on there. Tim's. We got um, some brass tracks on there. Yeah. Like we going back. We coming forward. We doing it all. Yeah, we have everything throwback and new for you. So make sure you listen to that official behind the wheels playlist. And please make sure that you rate and review us on Spotify uh, podcast. It helps people to find us. And you know, also if you have any suggestions for future topics, once again, email us at behind the wheels pod at gmail.com and if you want to weigh in on anything that we discussed today hit us up on twitter that hashtag behind the wheels pod and before we head out eb where can they find you at on social media social media i am eb the number four prez so eb for prez prez is with a z at the end z is in zebra so that's where you can find me anywhere on social media that's what it is you can find me at dj rtis tic on instagram and twitter uh, Black Planet, you can find. Uh, all right, I'm not, I'm not on there no more. No more Black Planet. No, done, done with those. They coming things. back. They coming back. They might come back. They got an app. I saw it. I saw it. So anyway, I did too. <laughs> I'm like, why do I even have this? So they not coming back. <laughs> I hope not. So thank you all for listening once again. This is Behind the Wheels. We are, we will see you all next episode. Artistic out. Yo. Behind the Wheels is produced by Melissa D. Montz and the Lady Set, and the music is provided by Epidemic Sound.